0: Welcome into episode three of Hoops Forum presented by Radius Athletics and a Quick Timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller and I'm joined once again by my co-host Randy Sherman. Before we get started here, I want to thank our sponsors over at 323 Sports. If you're in the market for a team dealer, look no further than 323 Sports. Whether it's uniforms, team gear, spirit wear, sports equipment, they can do it all for you. So find out more about 323 Sports, visit 323sports.com, or you can get in contact with a team rep at sales at 323sports.com. Today's topic is one that is near and dear, probably to uh, Randy and I, probably the best way to describe it. We're going to talk about pace and space offense. One of the things that I want us to make sure that we're communicating, we're talking from when your team goes from defense to offense, and that includes more than just half-court offense, right?
1: Yeah, I would say – pace and space is mostly a marketing buzzword or something you know like like it can mean a lot of different things i, I i've seen you know teams run in princeton which you temp- typically associate with maybe like a more of a ball control slow like playing that in the 80 90 points per game they're just doing that thing at at pace at speed so i would say definitely it begins with with the moment you win the ball back, however that happens, so if you win it back through a defensive rebound, you win it back after you get scored on and, and you're inbounding, the, the moment you you win the ball back is when, to me, pace and space starts to take over. One of the things that's been valuable for us we
0: since we started to run this, we've actually had fewer teams press us, teams that are like primarily press teams. We just played one this past weekend. And I think with about like seven or eight minutes left in the game, they, they quit pressing. And this is a team that presses literally 40 minutes every single game. Mm-hmm. And because of the pace at which we played and the space that it, that we created through the different types of cuts that we'll get into in a few moments, that they, they basically just quit pressing. And yeah. I've seen that now. I, we've only been doing it for two years. But if you do play with the right kind of pace and the right kind of player movement, it does eliminate a lot of the it doesn't matter whether it's a man press or a zone press, you eliminate a lot of the, the pressing situations. So maybe for some that um, are thinking it's just half court, I would encourage you to, and we can talk more about this later or somebody can reach out to us individually. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like press break wise and moving fluidly from your half, full court to your half court? You know, I, I think one of the things that was taught to me and was told to me when we first started with this, don't necessarily think of this as we cross half court, we start doing this it starts wherever the defense forces you to start it. Sure. And, and that was huge for us because, like I said, it really rendered every kind of press useless past that. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah,
1: I would say a lot of the teams that press, the rhythm of the game that they're depending upon is is they score and you take a moment to get the ball in bounds or set up mm-hmm. your little press offense thingy that, that, that feels natural to the coach to do that, but, but what, what that moment of intermission, if you will, allows is it allows the press to get arranged and organized, and, and you know, if they're forming a diamond or a 2-2-1 two, two, or something like that, your uh, lack of pace in that moment allows them to organize their defense and get their press set and organized, so I found one of the quickest things to kind of like you're describing to get teams to just quit pressing, was the speed at which we got the ball back in bounds after mm-hmm. we got scored upon. We use a teaching phrase called get it out, get it in, get it up, get it out of the net, get it back in bounds and get it up the court. Like That's that. good. Get it out, get it in, get it up. And a lot of times we would, a you know, team would have every intention of pressing, but they're used to that second or two after they yeah. scored that you, you know, build your little one, four press breaker, ready, break. And, you know, the guys stack on the elbows and split ready, break, you know, like they're dependent upon that. Mm-hmm. to to organize their defense so get it out of the net get it in and fire it up the sideline before they even get a chance to organize that press that might be the best press offense there is
0: this isn't just about like playing fast and the correlation between playing fast and playing yeah. with pace and then even the idea of well if we're going to be a, a winning team then we have to play with pace i think you even had some numbers as far as like win-loss correlation and playing fast or playing with pace and making yeah. sure you differentiate those?
1: Anything I have as far as numbers would just be me reading it. I'm not a math guy, really. So, so uh would be me reading someone else's work. But people that, that share information about basketball – and I, I've probably been guilty of this – also so I can say this without you know being accusatory of someone else like we talk about this is the way you should play this is the right way to play and like I really resist if I catch myself doing that I try to back my words up so I would say that good is good at any speed there's examples of teams that that the ball up the floor and call a play every time and play in the 40s and 50s that win and win big and there's examples of teams that that are the opposite of that that win there's examples of both that lose like if you just look at the pat and it's a little bit of survivorship bias but if you look at the at the past champions you know we've had virginia who's a slow paced team we've had north carolina in recent years who's fast and and villanova who's kind of right in the middle they're not one year they were on the slow end and two years later when they won it they were a little bit faster and This is yeah, this conversation is definitely not like, hey, you got to play this way if you want to be good. I I coached this way because I liked it. That's really Mm -hmm. that simple, (laughs) you know, and and the players enjoyed it and the players had fun playing it. So that's that the rationale as far as that goes, rather than making this a claim that this is like the only route to to championship. Is there
0: still validity in the fact that if we're playing, if we are playing faster then we're generating more possessions, which gives us more opportunities to score?
1: Yeah, I would say maybe uh, I would say it, it definitely lessens the value of each possession. So if if we've got the same 40 minute game and you're playing it with with 90 possessions and someone is playing it else is playing it with 60 possessions, then my turnover at 60 possessions, it, it, it costs us more than yours at 90 possessions. So mm-hmm. so the value just supply and demand. There's more. There's a, a greater supply of possession, so they have less individual value. When you are playing this style of offense, is it wise to shoot for a try to go
0: for a goal, or is that? Uh, I've or, done or maybe, that. How about this? Like, do you end up seeing over time we end up with this amount of possession? That, that's probably.
1: probably more a better way to say it. I didn't make a goal of playing at a certain number of possessions because, it, to a degree, that's opponent-driven. So, right, like I don't have complete control over that. I, I have what I would like to happen, but they made varsity too. They they got a scholarship too. They got drafted to whatever level you're coaching at. That cliche can work. Like I don't have full say so in how fast they want to go. I personally stayed away from like, okay, guys or girls, we're trying to get you know 78 possessions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, but I did find that 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 over the course of 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 the season and years of doing this that. That there was like an, a, a number around that 70-ish plus or minus in a high school game that, that you could expect to play at, maybe even a little bit higher in some games. The main thought that 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 I had around pace was, again, like I said, like you'll hear some coaches like in a fast break style, they, they talk about these cumulative totals they want to reach. Like we want to attempt 90 shots or we're trying to get certain amount of possessions in a game and things like that. I didn't approach it that way. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's just personally not how I approached it again because it's opponent driven. What I was interested in branding into my team was the things that we have a say so in and really our goal simply for pace was that's where we score get down there as fast as we can. Uh, We had some mechanisms in place to, to quantify that. For example, we wanted to get the ball over the half court line in less than four seconds preferably airborne over the half court line in four seconds or less. So basically the way I tended to think about it had nothing to do with, we want to get a shot in seven seconds or less, or we're trying to get 95 field goal attempts in a game. It had nothing to do with that. Our transition offense is the enforcement arm of your transition defense. Simply Mm -hmm. put, we're going to make you get back. We're going to find out if you have a problem in that area. And if you do a good job getting back, then we're going to we're going to flow right into our offense. Mm-hmm. If you don't, we'll take the easy basket. I found that a lot of especially coaching on the girls side, no offense to anyone, or but that that a lot of coaches didn't know they had a transition defense problem mm-hmm. because the rest of their schedule doesn't enforce their transition defense. They get a rebound, they walk it back up. They don't even have to coach that part of the game. Tonight you do, or tonight you have better d- done that. So that was all I was one from our transition offense. No, no thing about crazy numbers, shot attempts, because what I found in is our shot quality, like, oh, coach, that just shoot 95 times a game. You know, that, that's that ain't yeah. it. Right. But but that that's what I was looking for.
0: What's up coaches, this is Travis here with 323 Sports, your top choice for custom team apparel and equipment needs. And right now, we have fully custom sublimated face masks starting as low as $5.95 per mask. That's right guys, only $5.95 for a completely custom performance face mask to protect you and your players as you meet each week. We also have gaiters and over the head face masks, whatever the style, we got you covered. So be sure to reach out to us by emailing sales at 323sports.com to get in contact with one of our professional reps. Again, that's sales at 323sports.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you, and don't forget to do it right.
1: So we want to get to offense before they get to defense, simply put. And if, if they do their job, then that may segue us into the next part of the conversation of where I think it's very important. To to connect your transition offense to your half court offense. So there's no rearrangement. There's no interruption. There's no having to plug back into the coach. Okay, we got the ball down there. Now I'm having to plug back into my coach to see what he or she wants to do. We ran, but we also ran to certain landmarks on the court so that if the defense does its job, they do get back, they did get to what's next, at least at the same time we did, then we can connect right into this, the next phase of the game, which would be half-court O for us. So let's go ahead and talk about that, the, the yeah. spacing part, like yeah.
0: spacing and kind of the ideas connected to the, some of the prerequisites for having good space. I think sometimes we think it's just I go run to spots. Is it that simple, or is there more that needs to be considered?
1: Well, I would say that that your spacing in your half court is sort of um, – the, the table is set for that in, in transition. So in the moment we we get the ball back, defensive rebound or get scored upon. We talk about the players as we transition to get width, then depth. Player speed, ball speed. So player speed just is a fancy way of saying sprint, run. Ball speed is is a way of saying we either want to pass ahead. If we can't pass ahead, we want to to attack with a dribble. Both of those accomplish ball speed. So width, depth, player speed, ball speed. That's the that's the rubric by which we grade transition possession. So we get a rebound or we get scored on. I'm watching my guys or my girls. Okay you did a good job with depth, but you're not wide enough. You're not, you're, you're hugging the volleyball line instead of the sideline. Or you, you're kind of looks a little joggy to me. Like I'm not seeing heels flipping glutes and and elbows driving. I'm not seeing the biomechanical landmarks of someone sprinting. I'm seeing like a sidewalk jogger. Speed, width, depth, ball speed. And then ball speed, like, all right, I'm talking to my point guard or my outlet guy. Like you could have thrown it ahead. You had a man up the sideline, what I call the rail. You had a man up the rail wide open and you didn't advance the ball with the with the pass, you dribbled instead, which slowed down the ball speed. The, any pass is faster than John Wall dribbling, right? So, mm-hmm. so those are the qualities we're looking for. That sets the table for us to quote show up in the half court with width, and depth, and space, and and all of those things.
0: And then once you get to the half court, kind of the spacing components of maybe either how to start with good space. Or maybe then how to even create the space once things could get going. What are some of the tenets for that?
1: It's probably first important to maybe have to, to, to do a little, I don't know, maybe definition or defining some terms. I, I try, I, I catch myself sometimes using these two words interchangeably and I try to correct myself the difference between positioning and spacing. And I've I've been guilty of that already this morning. So we're trying to show up in the half court with good positioning. And to me, positioning is simply put is our spots, where we stand, you know, deep corner at rim depth in the, in the, in the high slot of, you know, NBA three or higher, something like that. Wing, if we're five out, we may have guys on the wing spots, you know, so that's our positioning. Our spacing is impacted by our ability to score from range any team any team on planet earth whether they have no shooters no uh, you know big sloppy bigs any team can have good positioning they can stand with width and depth and and all of those qualities with symmetry with floor balance that's positioning spacing is our or what i call functional spacing i've borrowed that term is is our ability to score so so really what I care about is, is our, our opponent's defensive spacing. Does our gravity, does our scoring ability correspond with our positioning? So we can pull the defense out, and now we've got space to attack the rim and, and collapse the defense. So I would advise coaches to first get your positioning on point. Like get this is where we run. These are our landmarks. You see it all the time. Like NBA practice gyms have – I saw one that had a little – had a dollar sign in the deep corner, like that's the money spot. Like, like, and they'll have little tape squares drawn. I saw the Bucks a few years ago, had all, had all these tape squares drawn to get to their five out alignment or positioning. That's the habit that I'm first trying to build when I work with a team.
0: So the teacher inside of me wants to simplify this as much as possible. I don't Let's intend do to oversimplify it, but maybe I'm going to. I like to say that we're just simply with our spacing and with our pace, we're trying to create advantages on the floor. I don't know if those that are listening necessarily understand the advantage small advantage big advantage but if you want to kind of talk about that but then also the fact like how do I, okay so how do I go about I've got I've got my players positioned where I want them to spaced where I want them to based off their skill set but now now what now now what am I are we just like I'm going to out talent you and get to the basket and score
1: well no maybe maybe but um that that can work for some teams but yeah. um I would say Again, I gave the rubric of transition offense a moment ago of what we're looking for: width, depth, ball speed, player speed. When we show up in half court, I've, I'm grading our our what what we look like against a model that I want us to look like. The first thing I'm grading is our construction. If we're four out, we got the deep corners, high slots. If we're five out, whatever shape that looks like: corners, wing, wing, top, or or square, top, corner, corner, one of you know, double side, single side, whatever. Did we arrive in our Construction. We want to habitualize that to where over and over and over again, more possessions, way more possessions than not. All right, we're we're hitting, we're we're coming down the court and we're hitting those spots. The next goal to answer your question would be penetrate. So I'm grading a possession on construct one, penetrate two. So how you achieve that penetration could be innumerable. Well, not really innumerable. You know, you typically use an action, whether that be like you see NBA teams come down, they get two guys in the corners. The guy that rebound is trailing the play. He sets a drag ball screen for the ball. So they, they've constructed by hitting deep corners and two sides, single side. They, you know, drag ball screen. The guy drives or they hit a roller. That's penetrate. So construct, penetrate and then execute our decision making behind penetration. That's it. So we create space and transition. We hit those spots. That's construct. The next goal is penetrate. That doesn't have to come to you in action. It could be just dribble penetration. It could be mm-hmm. we reverse the ball a couple times, cut a player, and drive into a gap or something like that. Like Whatever we do after we've constructed should be about re- uh, achieving penetration. And then thirdly, it's about the decision-making behind the penetration. We execute that properly. So we, we we attempt to penetrate with the aim of scoring at the rim. And the players that aren't in that penetration action are creating space with their positioning. They're staying out of the way, simply put, or they're cutting in a manner that manipulates a would-be helper. Then that player that's penetrating, whether we penetrate with a pass or penetrate with a dribble or penetrate with a cut, is their hope and aim is to score at the rim. But if help shows up, now it's decision time. We throw where the help came from, and then we get to that like half-second basketball you're talking about. Shoot first, drive second, pass third, something like that, right?
0: Here's the thing that I like about all of this. Everything that you've mentioned, everybody is sitting there that's watching and listening, and they're like, yeah, we we understand that. That's how basketball has been played for like the last 20 years. I have personally felt that this kind of offense, when you start teaching conceptual offenses, you end up packaging all of that together. Because what I have found is we've treated too many things like quick hitters, like, okay, we're going to go do this this time. Whereas these conceptual offenses, it's like going out, and I've never done this, but like figure skating and just working on triple axles. That's great if you can do triple axles, but if you can't do a whole performance, you're never going to win the gold medal. Mm -hmm. And so for this, putting the whole thing together, whether that's, okay, we're going to incorporate blur screens, we're going to have some dribble handoffs, we're going to every now and then maybe use like a a ball screen off of a bounce out or something like that. It puts everything together, and once you get the system together – the players, again, aren't just trying to go out and execute triple axles. They are just simply practicing basketball.
1: Yeah, so so I think there's certain offenses where the play scores, right? Like we, we call the play, we get in our box or our 1-4, and, and we see cut, cut, screen, screen, boom, boom, pass, layup. Like, yay, like what that the play scored. In the this brand of offense, maybe that's not the case. On paper, it's like, okay, this guy passes here, he cuts there. This guy fills and he cuts there and pa- you know, like there's not like something that that that's a play that works. It's concepts to manipulate, create, expand, space, and the player scores. So that's that's probably the nuanced difference that the players score rather than the play scores.
0: This is where I would like to pull the pole back up again. Sure. sure. Because because of this is I ask. The key word, I put this in there on purpose, what's your primary style of offense? Yeah, yeah. For the ones that replied and says, well, I use a combination of, of all of those. Yeah, I do too, right. but I don't use those all equally. Right. And this is where, again, I'm biased. Yeah, you so you force
1: them into an answer. Yeah. Right? Primary, yeah. right, yeah.
0: And I and I, I think that a lot of coaches are coming to the realization when we play out of concepts in our normal yeah. offense This gives us opportunities. And it's not that those other things like a set play, you and I, before we got on here, we're talking about, there are some great times for set plays where you want to get the ball into certain guys' hands. And so you are going to run certain actions, but it just becomes very difficult. And it goes to our point of if you're going to play with pace and space and things are going to to transition quickly to the next component of, of the game, you can't just keep chunking things. We're going to run a set play. That didn't work. Okay, let's pull it back out and run another set play especially for those of us that are playing with a shot clock it just it doesn't necessarily work. You, you, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago I would encourage some to go back and listen to this. what set plays and sometimes what continuity does is it's player number one, player number 12 and I don't want that. I want I want everybody in here. I want one, two three four five six seven eight nine ten and the conceptual offense as you practice these things and work on decision making and everybody is working on these things. Just look at our box scores. You will see that our box scores are four guys or five guys. There are a lot of nights where five guys are in double digits because of this. People are sharing the ball. Everybody's playing. Everybody's getting opportunities, and it's allowing for a lot of people to to be successful and and impact our offense.
1: To play this way, you kind of have to adopt this mantra. We don't care who scores as long as Bob Jones University scores. No. Right. Like, I don't care if you get 22 or you get 22 or what, whatever, like whoever the advantage knows not where it will land. Right. So we drive, we kick, we move it. Boom, boom, boom. Pass, pass, shot, shot. It's you. Happen to be you. Great. I want to talk about a little mechanism or, or, or a diet, if you will. I put myself on as a coach. You don't have to do this. It's not like a rule. Right. You know, a coach has to have a code, some things that they just won't do, even though they can. For me, the dividing line back to the pole. Was your point? There are good opportunities to use each of these categories: set plays, continuity, conceptual. The dividing line: the diet I put myself on, Randy. This is what I'm not going to do as a coach. I am not going to, even though I can. By rule, by plenty of coaches do it. Sure, champion coaches do it. All that, yeah. Even though I can, I'm not going to call a play in a live ball change of possession. We get a defensive rebound and make an outlet, and we're running lanes, I'm not going to stand up on the sideline and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Arkansas. Even if we get scored on, which is a live ball change of possession, the ref doesn't have to touch it, right? So it comes through the net. On any live ball change of possession, we're running to spots, we're flowing to concept. It's something that I imposed upon myself because this is what it did. That's a constraint that I put on myself Mm -hmm. that made me have to go back to the practice gym and prepare my team to play that way. The whistle blows in a high school basketball game every 14 seconds. Someone travels, the ball goes out of bounds. If we played longer than two minutes without a whistle, someone would have a freaking asthma attack. There are ample times to where you're going to start a possession from a stop. and the live ball, our pace, our space creates the advantage.
0: I uh, did have one question here. Coach asked, you know, when you're running conceptual, if you have a player who needs more shots, how do you approach that? You want to tackle that? I I found that the ball actually just found the guy. It wasn't something that I had to be intentional about. Even though we had a lot of guys in double figures, the leading scorers were still the leading scorers. There are also some things that you can do to manipulate it without getting into like details. Coach, I don't know what you call this, but like the fan action there at the top. So if we had a point guard mm-hmm. instead of him coming down the floor, giving the ball up and maybe not seeing the ball for another three or four passes, he mm-hmm. would, Pass, Cut. fan out to ball the main, side, yeah, and then get the ball right back. So, that I mean, there are – again, offense, this is what – I made a comment about this in a, in a chat that I was doing a while back. We as coaches think we like plays. You don't like plays. You like actions. There are actions that if you actually study plays, there's a reason why everybody likes a hammer play. It's because of the action that comes at the end. There's a reason why everybody likes stagger screens. It's because of the consecutive actions that are hard to guard. Yeah, And my point is, is that within your conceptual offense, you can quickly find which actions are going to get the ball to certain guys. Yeah, And I have found that the players will actually sometimes manipulate those actions. If it's a player that I don't want manipulating that action, I'll call them out on it. If it's a player that I'm okay with manipulating that action, I don't even address it. I just let him do that. Again, I just feel like the ball still does find the guys that it needs to sometimes. And if it doesn't, then go ahead and stop that as a coach and say, no, instead of running this blur screen, we need to make sure that we're going one down to get the ball to the guy down in the corner.
1: Yeah, I would say, too, just I, I kind of just touched on it previous to this question is, is OK. In the again, plethora of opportunities in a high school basketball game that the possession starts with a dead ball start call your play for your stud player. Like that's, he's going to get all those right. Or she's going to get all those. I I would also say that like, no offense to this coach that asked this, but I would say you're already kind of entering into your, your dalliance into this style of play is already getting off to a start that that's, that you don't want to go down. This is a, this is a style of play that again, we don't care who scores unless LCHS scores. So just that question is already kind of like, ah, coach, maybe keep moving along, <laughs> you know, not to be mean or dismissive, but like I get what he's saying. And again, I I have had the same sentiment as you is like our uh, our leading scorer was the same player from the, when I took over to the year before. And there's a story from the NBA, too, about um, there was a player. I think it was Scotty Williams that played for the Bulls alongside Jordan. Yeah, it was like nine points a game and. The New Jersey Nets, I read the story. The New Jersey Nets traded for him, right, and thinking, oh, man, if he, he averaged nine points a game coming alongside Michael Jordan, we're going to go pay him these millions of dollars, give him a long-term contract, bring him here, and he's going to be a star here. You know how many points he averaged at New Jersey? Nine points a game. Your best players will figure it out. Don't worry about your best player. Yeah. Like Try not to worry about that. They'll get their shots. They'll be the ones that can can create more advantages. They'll be able to attack better. They'll be fine. Yeah. What you really got to bring up now is, is your floor because now we're going to be driving, kicking, moving, passing, cutting. You know, We don't have this joystick controlling who gets shots. Yeah. What I really got to bring up now is you, you, and you, and you who've been deferring to him for all these years because that you're going to get shots.
0: Which is what terrifies some coaches, which I understand.
1: And I do too. And that's why I would say that, that there's some intentionality that goes into building a program around playing this way.
0: You're, and it you're takes trying.
1: Time. You're, it takes time, and you're trying to build a. You know, nobody wants to get in a ground war with China, right? Yeah. They they got too many soldiers. <laughs> That's what we're trying to create. Like I'm not. My best players will be fine. Here's the
0: last one. Uh, is in your game philosophy, Coach Guerrero. In your game philosophy, what do you consider a small advantage and a big advantage?
1: Well, I'm not the expert on this. There's a a guy out there named Brian McCormick who wrote a great book about this. So I would, I would refer you to his book called Saba S-A-B-A. That, that really goes into great detail about what that is, but just my my simplified version of thinking that would be like, like a, a, a player, a player driving to the basket with a player defending him would be a small advantage. Like something's happening here that potentially could lead to a score. Small advantages tend to score more at the rim. We don't want, than, than from distance. Big advantage simply means a guy has the ball with space and or time, which is sort of the same thing, to, to, to make a decision. So just, just to give you a, a really simple example would be like a simple drive and kick. Tony's driving to the basket. He's got his shoulder on his defender's chest. He's sort of got a, a corner turned. He hasn't just blown by him, but he's got a small advantage. He's getting the ball downhill. I'm in the corner. My man helps. He sees that small advantage potentially turning into a score at the rim. My man helps. Tony kicks to me because my man helped in. I catch with a big advantage. Space equals time. That's one example. Another example might be like a mismatch, a size mismatch. Mm -hmm. If I'm a big post, I've got a small guy. You know, they say mouse in the house or something like that down in the post. Am I guarded? Yes, I'm guarded. But I have a small advantage based on just the physical mismatch. I would also add too, that whether it's small or big, you must use it. So like if I catch the ball, you know, and and my guy's getting back to me, he's got a 10 foot closeout to get back to me or a three foot closeout to get back to me, whether the bandage is big or small, I'm in that microsecond, I'm better than that player, no matter who it is. So, So if I hold it and let that player return to neutral, now we got to restart the advantage. So whatever that is, small or big, you must use it.
0: It's another conversation that probably could go on for several hours, and I'm sure at some point we'll have part two to this. I'm just
1: getting going, man. This is normally I know. when I wake up.
0: Appreciate all of those that that watched and participated. Uh, we'll hopefully be back again next Friday. So be on the lookout on our Twitter accounts for both the topic and also the poll that goes along with that. Randy, appreciate you getting up early to, to join us today. No problem, man. I'll see you all again this next week.